I'm author and athlete Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show. I'm not pursuing passion. I'm pursuing an inspired mission, a real purpose, a teleological purpose that somebody, when they live by their highest values, pursue. It's Parkinson's law. If you don't fill your day with high priority actions, it fills up with low priority distractions. It's, that's, that's entropy. Entropy takes over anything that's not organized with negative entropy. The same thing with money. People don't realize with money. If you don't put your money into assets, you're going to end up having it spent on unexpected bills that will be liabilities. I didn't ask what's most pleasurable and makes you have happiness and fun. I said, what do you spontaneously do that you love doing that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do that's of service to people that is meaningful to you? There's a difference. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements. And you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code Brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Dr. John Martini, what a pleasure to join you again. Your words and your phrases have been echoing in my mind since our last talk. I hope listeners can go back and listen to that one. But as always, you got more exciting, fun stuff up your sleeve these days. Well, I'm, I feel blessed. So thank you for having me again on your show. Uh, so you've just released a book here in late 2022, The Seven Secret Treasures, A Transformational Blueprint for a Well-Lived Life. Um, that's a pretty ambitious uh, subtitle there, but I know you can back it up with some some pretty fantastic uh, suggestions and guidelines. Well, when I was 18 years old, I was watching David Carradine, I believe his name is, on Kung Fu. You may remember that, I don't know. And uh, he was talking about his Shaolin Chinese master. And I thought, wow, I want to be a master. And that put me on a pursuit. What exactly is a master? Mm. And 
I then decided that and to master life, that that meant to mastery of seven areas of life. And so I set out at age 18 to contribute something original that would serve humanity intellectually. I want to wake up my genius. I want to build my creativity and learn how to master reading and master the mind and master self-governance and mental power. I want to have a global business. I want to master business and be able to create a business that was global in every country, a, a service or product, an idea that could go to every country. I want to have financial independence and have my money working for me and working not because I have to, but because I would only love to. I'm 50 times financial independence today. I wanted to have a global family. And uh, as you know, I live on a ship that's called the world that goes around the world. So, and I have uh, my girlfriend, my wife passed away. My girlfriend now is in Turkey. So I have a global family. I wanted to move and shake with some of the most amazing people on the planet and people that have anybody that has global impact. It could be a celebrity, it could be a politician, it could be a, a Nobel Prize winner, it could be a book author, it could be anybody that's doing something extraordinary that's impacting the world. I want to hang out with those people. And I also want to have a vital body. I'm 68. And I want to have a vital, energized body and crank and, and, and be working away and doing something I love to 100. And I also want to make some sort of a movement that would be an inspiring movement, not a religion, but a, an inspiring movement that would inspire people regardless of where they come from in the world. And so that to me was mastery for me. Everybody will have a different definition and mixture for their own mastery, but that's what I wrote. And so then I went on a pursuit to try to learn everything I could in every field I could that would assist me on that pursuit. And over time, people wanted to learn that with me. And I, I learned a long time ago that if, if you want to learn something, teach it. So, <laughs> um, and helping other people, Zig Ziglar taught me when I was 20 uh, if you help other people get what they want to get in life, you help get yourself what you want to get in life. So, I started to take that information and when I would teach it, I would retain it better and I would be more likely to make sure it's organized and clear. And so it's been a win-win. So this book, The Seven Secret Treasures, is I believe that there's a gold mine in each of those seven areas waiting for anybody who's willing to go and apply principles and methodologies that I feel very confident I've lived and I know they work and I've seen thousands of people who apply them Get, it, get the same results. So it doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've been through, or what you're going through. What matters is, are you going to start applying the things that allow you to move forward and achieve? Mm. And so this book is, is a, it's not a giant book. It's, it's under 200 pages, but it's, it's there to distill down some of the highest priority actions and perceptions and methodologies that I could give that help in that arena. If it's, if you're not wanting to master each of those areas, and that may you may have only one or two areas that are important to you. But I found out also that when somebody's asking, like when I've asked women in my relationship uh, programs, how many, you know, what are you looking for in a woman? I mean, a man to the women, and they write down all the things they do. They're looking for somebody that's fit, that's handsome. They're looking for somebody that's intelligent, right? A little they're bit of stubble somebody. on the uh, on the beard and maybe some streaks no, of gray. No. Okay, okay. No, 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 no. Some women love that. I just got yeah. through 
I just had lunch with a woman that don't, wasn't, won't date anybody under 70 <laughs> and who loves a little beard and a stubble. That's a man to her. So there's there's people that want that too. But they want somebody that that's vital. They want somebody that's handsome. They're wanting somebody that is intelligent. They want somebody who's ambitious, business. They want somebody who's got some wealth. That not They don't want to have to take care of a guy. Mm-hmm. They want somebody that loves them and wants to be with them. You know, not off to twenty thousand women. They want somebody that you know is is socially savvy. So if they brought him out there, like people go, "Wow, does he have a brother?" <laughs> if you don't want him, we'll take him. And uh, you know, socially connect with anybody that they relate to, and they want somebody who's inspired. So each individual in relationship is looking for somebody in those areas to enhance those areas in their life. So this book is for people who either looking for somebody that way, they can get them the book. <laughs> Say, call me when you get this, when you get all these areas matched, and I want to date you. <laughs> or just somebody that wants to master their life in one or more of those areas. I believe the book will be helpful to me. Well, I would love to go through each of the seven, uh, but I, I want to jump in with a question here. As I said at the start, your words are echoing in my mind. I'm writing down my favorite stuff. And then from time to time, I realize that um, I might have the knowledge and the awareness and deeply appreciate the quote and uh, have a strong desire to live by the maxim of uh, if you don't fill your day with high priority actions, they'll become filled by low priority distractions. Uh, and then I realize that maybe uh, there are times when certainly there are times when I'm drifting away from these higher ideals. So in other words, there's a sticking point between what I read and and listen to you on the podcast and my daily action. So what do you suggest when people, I suppose you could call it, get stuck between their knowledge and their their dreams and desires and their actual, actually the way their day played out? Well, um, you have to be accountable for yourself. Nobody's getting up in the morning and dedicating their life to your fulfillment. <laughs> Everybody is going to impose on to you mm. their set of values. And they're going to want you to do whatever will help them fulfill theirs. So you're going to be bombarded by by opportunists and people who care about you, but they're going to care in their values. And mm-hmm. they're going to want you to do what helps them too. So if you don't fill your day with things that are very important, um, you're going to get bombarded by opportunists and people taking up your time and distractions and low party things. Now, that forces us to do two things. To be accountable, to do something that's meaningful, that serves somebody enough to be remunerated for it. Because if you're not doing what you love and loving what you do and getting paid for it, you're having Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Friday's week friggin' ends, and not a vocation being your vacation. So if you do if you do that and you do something that is meaningful and you're doing what's priority, you can delegate lower party things. So anything that I require motivation to do, I delegate. I want everybody to really get that. Uh, I suppose that counts uh, of, of of having a personal trainer show up. Like John Asareff said, he's not motivated to, to to lose weight. So he 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 paid a guy to show up at his door every day at 7 a.m. So yeah. he's delegating the motivation. But if still you have to go through the one hour workout with the trainer who's who's goading you on and getting paid. Well, I I. I do exactly the amount of workout that I want to do. I don't do more. I don't do less. 
and I'm pretty fit. I did 1,200 butt lifts yesterday, 240 push-ups, 100 curls with pretty good weights. I did uh, 48 minutes on 8 to 25 intensity on the elliptical. So I do a pretty good workout one way, one day a week. Mm. And it takes me about just under an hour. And uh, that's it. That's all I want to do. I don't want to do three or four times a week. I don't want to do that. Mm. I, but I've got a, I'm in pretty good shape because of that. But that's my, that's what I do. That's my spontaneity. I don't need to be forced to do it. But if I have to be forced to do it, it's not, it's, it's, I got a resistance. You're more likely to injure yourself if you do. But anything that I require motivation to do, I delegate. That's just my rule of thumb. And I found that if I delegate those things, my mind is more clear, I'm more focused, and I'm more attentive to the thing that I really love doing, which is teaching, researching, and writing. Now, because I teach, I'm able to generate more than the cost of a delegation. Hmm. And people say, well, because you're wealthy, then you can do that. I became wealthy at age 27 because I did that. Oof. I didn't start out wealthy. I was in debt at age 27, and I was barely able to send save $10 a day, and I was a doctor. I was paying off debts. But what I did is I bought the book, The Time Trap by Ella McKenzie, and I realized that I was going to stop myself if I didn't delegate. Because here I did you know, 10 years of college to do a specialty, and here I'm doing ordering supplies, doing bank, bank reconciliations. All those were $20 and $30 an hour jobs, $50 an hour jobs. And I was able to make thousands in an hour if I was to do what I did in my specialty. So I then realized that I made a list of everything I did in a day and which one produced the most income and second most and third most. And then I realized that if I just go put my hours into that, I'm more than pay for everything else. And at age 27, I slowly but surely in 18 months reading that book, I went from doing most everything to only doing what I did, which was teaching and clinically applying it to the highest end clients. My business went up tenfold net worth because I let go of things and I got onto the thing that was really producing. Because a lot of people confusing busy with productivity. Productivity is actually doing something that produces an income because it serves another human being, which brings meaning and fulfillment. And then you're freed to delegate the lower priority things. So if you just abnegate it and go, well, I don't want to do that, and there's nobody else to do it, you'll be trapped going back having to do it. And if you're not filling your day with the things that do produce, that is inspiring to you, it, there's, a, there's a fine line between what inspires you that has meaning and what produces. And you need to find that match. And me, that's what the book's about, help you find that match so you can go out and do what's really meaningful to you. Mine is teach. I love it. I don't have to be reminded or motivated to do it. Mm -hmm. Nobody said to motivate me for 50 years to teach and research. I do it every mm -hmm. day. I mean, every day. Yeah, hopefully almost every listener can relate to having that passion. And as you say, what do you do spontaneously every day that brings you joy and requires no motivation? That's your authentic self. Uh, and the naysayers are getting really quiet now as you as you finish that previous statement and, and realizing you know, the, the ability to delegate when you focus and drawing the circle backwards. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess I should ask a, um, a challenge question where that 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 beautiful meshing of your passions and then the economic contribution um i'm imagining some people are 
uh, are, are tripped up there because their stated passion is something that um, is widely regarded as a, a difficult income prospect. Let me put it that way. Okay, good. Well, first of all, um, this is probably going to shock some people. But if you, I don't know if you have a phone. Do you have your phone with you? I have a phone here. The, those watching on YouTube, here's my yeah. here's my I iPhone. Want to, I want you to go and type in there under Google uh, "passion" and definition. Then, yeah, and then put etymology, and you'll see it comes up "pati" and "pasio" in Latin. Yes, the origin "pati" and "pasio." Look, look what it means: suffering. Indeed, it says that the original meaning is suffer. To suffer. So I don't use passion in my life. I'm not a passionate guy. Compassion means to suffer with somebody. Passion means to suffer. And most people have confused passion with a mission. An inspired mission is not a passion. And that distinction is not being drawn out there. And people don't know the difference. Passions were considered lust mm. greed gluttony sloth the christians called them the seven deadly sins they were immediate gratifying pleasures without pains those were the passions and the reason why they're passions is because anytime you pursue a one-sided type of life the other side smacks you and you suffer that's why it's called passion so it's being used since 1985, since the Passion for Excellence came out. And people change the word, and now the people think oh, it means being enthused about something. But even enthusiasm is confused in its root. Entheos, the divine within, under St. Augustine, and was that you have now poised equanimity within your mind. But people think it's rah-rah standing on chairs, going, yes, yes, yes. That's not enthusiasm. That's mania. <laughs> mania creates pania <laughs> so i distinguish i'm very much an etymologist and i look at the roots of words because they do have meaning and they have an impact and the distinctions are important so i don't promote passion or compassion with people because i think that those are uh, compassion is one wounded individual now buying into the wounds of another individual and going oh that has pain without a pleasure i can feel for you mm. it isn't going to make them grow I'd rather have hit him, as Emerson said, right between the eyes and say, let's get in touch with reality now and let's find out what you're doing to create your suffering. Because <laughs> I've not seen suffering in people who know how to manage their life. Mm. I see people suffering when they don't, when they're not listening to their intuitions and following what's really important to them. So I'm not pursuing passion. I'm pursuing an inspired mission, a real purpose, a teleological purpose that somebody, when they live by their highest values, pursue. And Aristotle distinguished this in his time. The, the, the word telos meant end in mind. And in his idea, the end in mind was the highest priority, the highest value. In fact, when Immanuel Kant, the fourth most powerful philosopher, talked about a priority, they weren't talking about priorities. They were talking about the highest priority, which we allowed ourselves to intuitively gather information. So the a priori state is the highest priority. It's the one thing. Gary Keller calls it the one thing. Find that one thing and stick to it, right? Find your, Donald Trump taught me many years ago, you know, he's a controversial character. I learned something from him. I used to live underneath him. And, uh, and in the process of doing that, 
He said, find that one thing and do it over and over again and build momentum doing it until you become unstoppable and you'll have incremental momentum to great achievement. That's why I teach the breakthrough experience 1,160 times, about to do it 1,161 times this week. So I just keep doing something repeatedly until it's mastered, you know, like a martial arts or like a dance or like a singing or whatever. So finding the thing that you spontaneously are inspired to do that you love doing that doesn't require extrinsic motivation, that is deeply meaningful to you, that you can't wait to bring to the world, and that serves and structuring it in a way that it meets the needs of other people so you have a sustainable, fair exchange when you deliver it. Mm. That's the path of a mission, not a passion. That is a longer sentence than all I like to do is play video games and eat pizza. Well, if you're doing video game, my son has got a video YouTube channel and has got 55,000 people following. So that's not just a passion. It's his mission. He does it literally eight to 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So if I see it as an escape, I see them in their amygdala. If I see it as a mission, I see them inspired and making incremental progress towards the mastery of it and doing it in the form of an economic exchange. It also occurs to me when you replace that word passion with inspired mission, then we also get this realization that when you are on your inspired mission, um, it's not necessarily fun and games and peachy king and popcorn and bubblegum all the time. Sometimes it's difficult, challenging, potentially well, discouraging, etc. If you're not filling your day with challenges that inspire you, your day is designed to fill up with challenges that don't. <laughs> one is called use stress and it's wellness promoting mm. and it balances the cytokines and the other one is distress and it polarizes the cytokines into storms yeah that's that's heavy and i think now we have um people jumping off the bandwagon who don't deserve to be there and i think it brings up a question because um it seems to me with all this free exchange of information these days and the rise of influencers and people showing and telling how magnificent their life is we kind of have created a culture of people who are i guess indulging in this type of programming uh, but then failing to execute and also perhaps people spreading this message in a distorted manner such as pursue your passions like me and I'm about to get on my private jet and have some more passion on the Caribbean island, but forgetting the distinction that you draw between inspired mission and passion and, and frivolity, well, I guess. Um, everybody could maybe get this, that if you pursue uh, and make money without meaning, it will lead to debauchery. And if you go and pursue money with meaning, it will lead to philanthropy. Hmm the love of human beings, not the party escape. Mm -hmm. I, I had, a, I'll give an example. There's a gentleman that, um, how can I say it without revealing who he is, um, that I've known for 21 years who owned a very large railroad company in America. And um, he finally retired. Now, while he was owning a railroad uh, up until his 70s, he was very uh, philanthropic, very dedicated, very focused. The second he sold it and just had money without meaning, I watched him gain weight, have heart mm. problems, health problems, and drink, and treat his wife a little less than ideal. Mm. And so I've, I've watched what happens. If you don't have something to fill your day with that's deeply meaningful, that inspires you, 
that does something that makes fulfillment. If you ask a thousand people in a room, go to the most fulfilling moment in your life. I will guarantee you that 99.9% of them will say it's when I'm doing something that's meaningful that contributes to somebody else's life and they say, thank you. So if you're not doing that, you're missing out on the fulfillment in life. I just consulted with a guy in Monte Carlo the other day, and uh, he has just now kicked in his, his wealth. It's going up skyrocketing right now. And he doesn't want to work. Mm. And since then, his wife is now saying he's drinking too much. He's gaining weight, and he's thinking about other girls. And, and, and all the debauchery singers, I said, we need a philanthropic cause. We need mm. you back in doing deals in the business. This, this retirement screwing up your life and it's going to make it a short life. And he got it because he, he looked at it with the facts were in the uh, thing. And the second he started to not have something to drive himself for, he started deteriorating. So it's important to find something that's deeply inspiring and meaningful. And this is why I help people determine their values and look at what's really important to them and to do something that's really producing. Production is is doing something that actually has such a value to other people, they'll pay for it. Mm -hmm. When you're when it's something meaningful to you, that's that's half the equation. The other half is doing something that's meaningful to other people. <laughs> if those aren't balancing, you don't get go anywhere. It has to there has to be a sustainable, fair exchange, a transaction for fulfillment. We have a sensory cortex in the back portion of our gyride, and we have a motor cortex in the front portion. And if one is functioning without the other, there's no fulfillment. If you're receiving rewards without doing a service, no fulfillment. If you're doing a service and not getting rewards, no fulfillment. But the second you bring those into perfect equilibrium, you do exactly what you feel you're, you're getting paid exactly what you feel you're worth for what you're doing. There's fulfillment. There's thankfulness. And you both want to do business. You try to get something for nothing mm -hmm. or give something for nothing, not sustainable. Mm -hmm. If it's sustainable, fair exchange, both parties want to continue and you you flourish and getting that and all symptoms in our business and all symptoms in our life are trying to get us to that state to have fair exchange with the people we interact with at work, our clients, our customers, our employees, our spouse, our kids, our stakeholders, shareholders. Everything is trying to get those in equilibrium. I, I got to share a story. Jeff Bezos has a little video clip. If you type in Jeff Bezos dash Sony, you'll see this little few minute clip about how the guy from Sony inspired him to want to be the most country customer centric business in Amazon. And it's inspiring and it's meaningful. And the guy from Sony had a vision, a real purpose. Now, sometimes people use the word passion because they don't know the difference, but a real mm -hmm. purpose to make Sony a representation for Japan, not just Sony, but for Japan to change the image of Japan, to go from copycatting to actually innovating. Okay, Sony sh shared that pathway. So Amazon, Jeff went out and said, I'm going to be the most customer-centric person. I want to make sure that we have quality service to the 100th degree. But he forgot one thing. The customer is one of the equations. Then there's the employees. So if you're, you're customer-centric but not employee-centric mm -hmm. also, then what happens is the autocratic demands on the employees eventually create a Teamsters union and a you know an anti-monopoly maneuver on him to cause a revolution because they end up creating a you know a, a fight against it. So now the Teamsters union came in into Amazon and then raised the standard for the employees. 
So now he's got customer centrism and he's got employee centrism. Now they've got the best deal compared to what they had just recently. Hmm. And now the stockholders said, well, wait a minute. Now the profit margin to us is a little bit less. And and, and then also Jeff says, well, it's a little bit less profit for me too, but but we have sustainability now on long-term track mm-hmm. records. And so that that skyrocketing return is maybe more moderate, but we've got a stable system and we're not going to have antitrust laws and suits and things. <laughs> so what happens is the stockholders then, he had to give a little bit more to the stockholders. And so now the stockholders are centric. And so once he balanced that out, and instead of going from a, more of a, I, I, the center is the, the customer only, Mm-hmm. And got everybody where there's now fair exchange. Boom, that works. So every symptom in a business is a feedback mechanism guiding the individuals to authenticity within themselves, sustainable fair exchange with all the partners involved. And the mastery of keeping your eye on that is the game of mastery. And if you can do it more effective and efficient than somebody else, you lead the field. Oh, that's great. It reminds me, I heard some business leaders say on an interview that, um, you know, he challenged the maxim that the customer is always right. He goes that my business, the employee is always right. And you always back the employee and you're willing to sacrifice a customer to support that employee in this hypothetical example. And it was a nice twist on that because I think people take so much crap, especially like in the retail world, because the customer comes in thinking they own the place and you have to bow to them. And that doesn't seem sustainable in a way either. And, uh, you know, that what a great story at scale for Amazon to, to balance those factors and then give the stockholders a few crumbs so that they can be sustainable too. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is uh, I had a, a patient one time years ago that was a celebrity in the sport world. Um, that came in. What did you practice, John? I was in Houston, Texas at the time, where I'm at this moment. Uh, what were you practicing? What kind I'm, of? I'm a retired chiropractor. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I used to line spines and mine with a divine, as I used to say, to make people feel fine. <laughs> <laughs> the big marquee, come on over. Yeah. Yeah. But so I had this uh, baseball player, famous baseball player, I was in, and um, it was really interesting. He was um, a bit of a prima donna. If that makes sense. That's a nice way of saying it. A little bit accustomed to everybody does things at his time when he wants it kind of thing. And he was a superstar. So, you know, he he got the accolades. He, he worked for it. But when he came in the office, he was a little bit obnoxious and was expecting everybody in my company to do what I tell you kind of thing. He'd be late and he'd demand the phone and he would do this. And that. <laughs> so I um, I told the staff, I said, uh, I could see their response to him and they were going to like, going, I don't like this guy. Right. So we decided, you know, how do we get this guy to, to get a little bit more balanced? Right. Cause we want to be customer centric, but sometimes, like you say, they're not being respectful. So you, how do you do that? So we thought, well, we could just tell the guy to screw off and, and, and get out of here. That's one approach. That's a little bit autocratic on our side. We could soak into him and just do whatever he wants and just, repress ourselves and then go hit cats and then you know kill cats <laughs> in the other night or something with tension work out or something but i got an idea we had a little brainstorming session and i said well how do we solve this and then we said oh this will be an interesting one i came up with an answer we decided to write down all the things that he was not doing great at and reverse it 180 degrees and giving him an award for those things that we wanted him to do. 
So he said, we would like to give you an award because he's used to being an award and accolading. We'd like to give you a reward for being on time, for, for uh, respecting the staff, for, for following through. Da, 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 da. And the second he got that reward, he changed his behavior because he wanted to live up to that award. And it worked. So it was a way of being customer centric with a bit of a twist to it. And uh, also employee centric with a bit of a twist to it because we were all tongue in cheek wondering what mm -hmm. would happen. But at the same time, he now wanted to live up to the ideals. And what we did is we took everything that he was not doing and we made it a list of the opposite. And we made an award for that opposite to let him know that there's a reward for that behavior. And it was like an operant, the Skinner's operant conditioning. We kind of like, you know, electrocuted him when he didn't do something and gave him a little uh, uh, dog bed pellet when he did. And uh, it was interesting how he shifted. And then people didn't mind him being there. And he actually one time actually called and was now saying that if you need to charge me, I understand, but I'm late, running late. And says, because I don't like to be late for you guys. And we turned him into a really cool guy. And he was a, he was really a lovely guy, but he was just a busy guy. And he's used to being on top. And it, and we we leveled the playing field. And he's he was really a great guy, but he wasn't, he needed a little push. And so what a great strategy. I mean, especially for someone like that, who's the king of their world. We made a lot of awareness. Right. It's the only way you could have got to him. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like trying to tell a diabetic what to do. If you ask him what might be, if you lead him through and asking questions about what might be wiser to do, where it's his decision, he'll do it. But if you tell him what to do, he's not going to do it. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so because there's because the blood sugar goes up under sympathetic activity and goes down under parasympathetic, and when you're mm. doing that, you're under fight or flight response, and you're usually in a kind of a defense mode. So right. there's different personalities going with different health conditions. And so we used to observe that and use that to our advantage to try to help manage the patient. Right. If you tell the diabetic, oh, you can't eat that ice cream. Let me take that bowl away from you. They're going to get stressed out and experience a rise in blood glucose legitimately. Yeah. So we, we, uh, we would use human behavior to assist. That's why I've been so interested in human behavior all these years. It reminds me of John Gray's fundamental relationship advice for the female in particular, where he says, you have to express everything as a preference. You can't nitpick your man or he'll get discouraged and draw away. But if you express everything as a preference, he'll be more and more motivated to do even better. Oh, I love how the kitchen is clean when I come home. That is so awesome. And uh, then they'll they'll fall in line because the man's basic biological drive is to be the hero and and come through and, and be seen in, in that great light. So um, there you well, go. The female wants the hero. But if she doesn't know how to build the hero, she destroys the hero. Mm -hmm. Same thing for the man. Yeah, yeah, love it. Uh, let's talk about the seven secret treasures if we have time to motor through those. And of course, the book's a, a quick read, but but so powerful. So it's like a quick read twice is the assignment. So well, the the, the treasures all boil around human values. So it's basically how to wake up your genius. See. Anything that's really, 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 really important and valuable to you, you if you read it, you'll retain it. You'll then mm. put it into long-term memory and you'll apply it. But if it's not really, 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 really valuable to you, you'll go into short-term memory and you won't, you'll forget it in seconds. I mean, everybody's come up to somebody and introduced themselves. And if you meet somebody, I'm sure you've had this happen. Somebody comes up and introduces 
And then somebody else is standing next to you. And after they said their name, somebody said, who was that? And you go black. Mm-hmm. They just said their name one second earlier and it didn't even register. I'm sure you've had that happen. Oh yeah. And then you've also had somebody that comes up to you. That's really important to you. And they say their name and you'll write it down. Can I get your, I want to make sure that spelling's right. You'll recite it in your head and you'll, you'll have it the rest of the day. So something that's high in your value goes in and it stays there and is applied. Something that's not doesn't go in. And so anytime you want to learn something, if you ask, how is it helping you fulfill what you value most, the more links you make, the more you have a photographic, autographic mind that's retained and applied. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. So how to wake up the mind is one of the chapters in there. How to wake up genius. Genius is one who pursues what's highest on their value and takes on challenges that inspires them because it's challenges that cause innovation, creativity, and uh, genius expression. When I spoke at the United Nations thing last year, I was on. I was talking on innovation, and it was interesting. And people don't realize that it's challenge that makes innovation, not support. If you have the same assimilative system, you have what is called assimilation and accommodation. When you have information that you've already heard before and you assimilate, it just goes in. It's not a challenge. It's the challenging information that makes you think. It makes you come up with new ways of doing things. So pursuing challenges that inspire you, that are high in your values wakes up genius, creativity, and innovation to give you cutting-edge things in business or in life. So that whole chapter is how to maximize the mental powers we have and how to be doing something that is meaningful and inspiring spontaneously so you're not having to be motivated to do things. 
anything you need motivation to do is not important to you. And anything I need motivation to do, I delegate. If somebody comes up to me and says, look, I want you to do this, and it's not inspiring to me, and it's not, no, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, if you want to pay me for that, that's fine. But I'm going to hire somebody to do it. <laughs> and as long as you pay me at least as much as what I'll hire, it, it'll get done. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get somebody else that is inspired and loves doing that mm-hmm. to take care of that. But I don't want to do, anytime you do things lower on your values, you devalue yourself. And when you devalue, so does the world. So if you want to go backwards financially and in business, and else, just keep doing low-priority stuff. And if you come up with excuses why you can't get away from them, then you're holding yourself back, and it's all BS because it's not true. I've taken well, thousands, uh, the- of people, thousands of people say, I can't do it. I, I show them how, and then they go, oh, yeah. and then they go do it. Yeah, the, the excuses are true until you break through and exactly. no longer making an excuse. Yeah, that that's uh, looking like we have to uh, get good at uh, drawing personal boundaries and uh, you know communicating authentically rather than just going getting bounced through the pinball machine and everyone knows I can come over and interrupt you at work because you're good at spreadsheets and so I bust into your office and and all of a sudden the the low priority distractions become your day. Well, we had we had in our office years ago little whips, little whip. <laughs> I got everybody a whip. And anytime they would request something that wasn't on the job description or wasn't by authority, by the, the rules of command, they pull the whip out and go, go back to your, go back to your space <laughs> just for fun. But see, if you fill your day with very high priority things, it's easy to say no to people. Mm-hmm. If you've got a, a, think of a day when you're just pull on and it's high priority. And somebody says, can you do this? Uh, not today. Absolutely not today. But if you don't have priorities, you're not filled with priorities, it's easy to be vulnerable to those things. Mm-hmm. It's Parkinson's law. If you don't fill your day with high-priority actions, it fills up with low-priority distractions. It's, that's, that's entropy. Entropy takes over anything that's not organized with negative entropy. The same thing with money. People don't realize it with money. If you don't put your money into assets, you're going to end up having it spent on unexpected bills that will be liabilities. Oof. That's a big one. And people don't get that. That's why I automatically force savings literally daily into investments going out every day investments because then it grows in value and i'm buying appreciable things instead of and i don't have all the unexpected bills as a result of it it's organized and any bill that's fluctuating i find the averages throughout the time and i set a certain amount and i do an agreement of a set amount so i'm taking out volatilities out of my business and just stabilizing it anything that's volatile pushes money away anything that's stable pulls money in Hmm. Basic laws of of uh, management of time and space and energy and matter. Okay, so that was a the the opening uh, secret of seven. That's the first. The second yeah. one is on business. You know, nobody goes to work for the sake of a company. They go to work to fulfill what they value most. And if they can fulfill what they value most, they're engaged in the company. If they can see how their job descriptions helping them get what they want, they'll do it. If they don't, they'll come up with sickness. They'll come up with excuses. They'll come up with all kinds of distractions. They'll take time off and go and stand in a 45-minute line at a Starbucks, which is ridiculous. Anybody that's got time to do that is obviously not engaged because mm-hmm. people engaged aren't going to want to do that. They don't want to get away from doing something that's meaningful. So I tell people that if you're needing some stimulant, you're obviously not inspired by what you're doing. If you're inspired, you don't want to be distracted by volatilities like that. Mm. 
And if you don't, if you don't fill your day with high priority actions, it's going to fill up lower priority distractions. And if you don't see how what you're doing is helping you fulfill what's meaningful, don't expect to maximize your performance. So I screen people in business. I have a section in the book, how to screen people in business, how to inspire teams according to their values to make sure you don't hire somebody that's not engaged in what you want done, or otherwise you're going to be micromanaging them all the time, pushing crap uphill all day long, because that's a symptom. Motivation is a symptom in companies, not a solution. I, I just tell people, I'm not interested in teaching how to motivate people. If you got people you have to motivate, they're not, they're not engaged. People are engaged, love what they're doing. They don't need to be motivated. They're, they're going to know more about that than you do. So we're wasting energy on the rah-rah speakers and the retreats to the Seaside uh, Conference Center to uh, get everybody fired up and it lasts for uh, seven, seven days trans- and then it, then it fizzles out. Well, anytime you impose a transient extrinsic motivation on somebody, you undermine intrinsic motivation. Oof. So that's not the end. That doesn't mean that the retreat might not be valuable. There may be other educational things in that. But just a, a motivational speech to me, I'm, I'm not a motivational speaker. People think, oh, you motivated. No, I'm not. A motivational speaker is using the art of persuasion and rhetoric to get you to mm. do something they're wanting to sell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not what you're here to intrinsically do. I'm interested in finding out what you are inspired to do spontaneously. I'm interested in making a link between your job responsibility and that. So you're inspired to do it without any external motivation. I mean, think about a kid. If if you if he loves his video games, does he need to be motivated to do his video games? <laughs> no. Imagine this if you have a kid at home and, and mom is, comes into his room now, Johnny, do those video games. Quit doing your homework and quit doing your cleaning of your room. I want you to do those video games. Oh, mom, I just want to clean my room. <laughs> and study more. And study more. No. They spontaneously are doing that in the the genius of the video games is they're taking and finding out what the kids are wanting and they're putting more energy on it than the parent to find out what the kids' values are and then creating something that the kids are engaged in. If the parents learn the same thing as the video game, they could compete with that, but they're not. So that's the way they articulate the job responsibilities to the kids in terms of the child's values. Otherwise, they're going to go, well, you can't play the video game unless you do your homework first. And if you don't do your homework, you can't play the video game. They're using reward and punishment, which is the lowest, most banal form of marketing and mm. management and selling you get. So I'm not a motivational speaker. I don't like to promote that. And you're not big on reward and punish reward and uh, for in the example of the parent child, which is so interesting, um, and and getting someone uh, locked in to have the um, you know the 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 uh, high passion, I mean, the the high desire to, to clean one's room and keep it clean. Um, how do you kind of drift toward that goal when it's not immediately apparent that's their... Well, your job is to ask questions to make it connected in their brain. Can I give a story? Yes. All right. So I'm in St. Stithian's High School, South Africa, Johannesburg. And I am speaking to 400 kids there. Teen, teens, they're, they're teen boys. It's a Christian uh, teen boys school. And there's a, the headmaster comes to me and says, we got a, we got a challenging uh, young man. Can you help me with him? And I said, I'm here, be glad to. He's 16 years old. He wants to drop out of school. He wants to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> and he is not engaged. He's not passing. He's just 
He's completely on the mountain. Can you speak with him? Because he is just just a he's, problem kid right there. Come on. Kid, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, that's the label they put on. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got with the kid, the guy, 16-year-old. I said, I hear you're going to go climb Mount, Kyle, uh, Mount Everest. He goes, I, yeah. I said, that is amazing. I've been to the base camp, and I know what that's like. And I, I mean, I haven't been to the top, but I know that's amazing. So congratulations on your mission and vision. I said, I got a question for you. Oh. Uh, how how are you packaging this whole thing to get up there? How many of your Sherpas do you have? Uh, <laughs> I don't have Sherpas. You don't have Sherpas? You're you're going to try to carry everything on your own and get all the way up to the top of the thing without a, a team of Sherpas? He says, do I need a team like that? I said, that, I'm not saying you can't, but you might want to have some Sherpas with you. People that are know the area, know the weather, and know the, the language and he says, and, and you're you're fluent in the the, the <laughs> Nepalese language? He said, no. So how are you going to communicate with people if there's a problem or if you need something? Uh, you, you don't have that done yet? No. Do you have a language teacher in your class here at school that uh, would be interested in maybe helping you learn that to prepare for that? He goes, oh, because you could get him on your team, just like mm. the shirt, you could get him on your team. And have him help you learn the Nepalese to prepare for Everest so you're really prepared because you're going to need a team. they got to speak in that language. I, I doubt if you're going to get some South African unless they're really experienced. If they are, they're probably not going to be helping you. They're going to be doing something else in their life. I said, and by the way, do you know, if you studied physiology to know what the blood pressure and the oxygen levels and the ratios of CO2 and, and nitrogen, nitric oxide, and you're going to, you have all those measured out and mapped out from your chemistry class? He goes, no. Is he going to go up there without knowing your partial pressures of each of those different gases in your lungs? He goes, do I need to know that? I said, I, I think you need to be able to measure that as you're going up. Because if you know you're going too high, you can kill yourself and die. Is that worth that? It, it, you have your chemistry teacher here. He could help you with that. Are you sure you wouldn't want to have that figured out and all mapped out and ready to go and make sure you have that done because to be more prepared for everything so you make sure you succeed because you'd be a hero if you're if you succeed and get it come back to your country and be like wow you made it to everest i said to so if you don't have the language you might want to get with your language teacher and the sociology you know all about the cultures of nepal and, and tibet no so you haven't studied the culture and know the people there and what what to say and not to say where offends or not offends people no you might want to understand that because they have different thinking up there and they have different family structures and different social structures and and uh, religious thinking systems. And you might want to know, because if you say something that's offensive with your Christian background and they're, they're a, a Buddhist thing and you, that you might not relate to them. And so they may not be on your team necessarily. So you might want to know a little bit about the background and sociology. You have a sociology teacher here. <laughs> all of a sudden and, you're going through his seven period classes. Every, all of his classes. I linked to hit them all, man. Then what I about PE? Classes to are you, are you, uh, you setting the records around the running track? Cause you got to build your endurance. Oh my gosh. Exactly. You need your PE first period to, to seventh. Unbelievable. Yeah. So anyway, um, I got language, I got geography, I've got chemistry, I got all the classes he was taking and linked him back to his objective. And I told him, I said, you know, I really want to see you get this thing. I want to knock it out of the ballpark. And if you're prepared, you're going to guarantee that. But if you're not prepared, what would it be like if you came back and you didn't make it? And then you end up 
you know, doing it prematurely and then got hurt or sick or whatever, then then what 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 what's that about? So maybe it'd be wise to use your school and get all your teachers working for you towards this objective and see if you can't be the superhero of the of the of the school when you come back because you knocked out a ballpark and you're gonna thank all those people for helping you get there. And I just linked it like that and he goes, I think you're right. I think that's probably smarter because I, I think I've been jumping the gun. I said, well, if we if we have impulses, we're in our amygdala and we're not maximizing our your our, our diaphragmatic breathing whenever we're in our amygdala because we're in survival mode. We go up in the clavicle when we're breathing and we would lose oxygen. So you want to make sure that they're not doing this on an impulse unprepared because you're less likely to achieve it. But if you're prepared and you run it in your mind's eye like Thorpe does when he's swimming, you want to watch Thorpe's swimming thing and see how he does it in his mind and run the entire system and make sure you know every inch of that. So watch every video and every mm. inch of that, know that entire climb inside and out and, and make sure you get some interest. Do you have sponsors to, to help you on that? So you make sure you have enough money for it. You have set aside all the money. Are you working to get the money to be able to mm. live for the flights and all the equipment <laughs> and everything that's going to be doing? It? He goes, uh, not exactly. I said, why don't we why don't we set a more realistic goal with a realistic time? How many more months do you have left in school? He's like, I got about a year and a half. What would happen if you put this entire school on that objective and worked with the school to get you there and made sure you save the money to get there? He said, you're right. That's probably smarter. I said, calm down the fantasy and let's get into it and let's become a legend for going to Mount Everest. And back in school, he was. One hour talking to him. Wow. And that story is applicable in so many ways to all of us when we allow fantasy, like some of my earlier questions about getting drawn into the social media influencers and their their beautiful life. And, and you're going to try to hopscotch and, and take steps that, you know, skip the, um, the, the the fundamentals. And especially for the parent-child dynamic, because it seems like today's prevailing parenting style is to impose the values that you know are so important, whether it's getting through an education or other things, you know, career paths that the parent thinks is viable onto the child, which is a recipe for uh, disaster and, and, and pulling away, trying to create motivation where it's not there. And just, just, yeah, I mean, just with your story, a 16-year-old coming Mount Everest, our, our initial knee jerk is that's ridiculous, but whatever a kid says, is certainly uh, valid and super important to explore and support, but with that type of guidance, rather than the the sledgehammer trying to well, turn the corner. The thing is, is every one of the people, the headmaster cared. He cared. He wants those those kids to do something amazing. It works mm-hmm. in his favor too. Mm-hmm. But he didn't know because he was he was the headmaster, and he, this kid was going to see him in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? so, and, and he was a little bit more uh, autocratic, religious with moralities. I didn't come across with any moral right, wrong, good, bad. I didn't do that. I just came in there asking real questions that needs to be done if you're going to go to. I've been at 20,000 feet and 20,000 feet. You walk. If you're not prepared, you walk six feet. You take a bunch of breaths. You walk six feet. You take a bunch of breaths. <laughs> You don't have a lot of oxygen up there, even after accommodating for a couple of weeks sometimes. So when you get up to 29,000 feet, you know, there's not a lot of oxygen there. You have to be prepared. So I just, I talked some reason to him by, and made him look like 
we're, we're trying to help you get there. Let's get there. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure we're getting it. So it's not in, it wasn't saying you can't do this. You're not going to do this. No, you won't do this. That's wrong. Just if you're going to do that, are you prepared for it? Let's make sure we're prepared for it. Make sure we really get there. Yeah, the same story applies to someone uh, miserable in a uh, corporate setting and they dream of uh, starting a career as a photographer and you could walk them through a very similar story when they're fritting away time because they hate their job so much and they're standing at Starbucks. Um, maybe you should be taking pictures of all the, the different angles as you wait in line for 45 minutes and do something well, valuable. If If you're not, when people tell me they want to do something that there's no evidence of, I confront it. See, there's evidence in my life that I've wanted to be a teacher since mm. age 17. Okay, there's evidence. I mean, I I I work on it eight days a week. <laughs> I mean, I'm putting in, you know, the hours. So if I look, I got a track record. So if you don't have a track record or something and you try to tell me it's important to you, I'm gonna confront that and make sure it is. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to, I don't want you to go and pursue a delusion and fantasy if it's not real. If it's real, then you'll, then you'll do what it takes. But you spontaneously are inspired to do what's meaningful to you. Finding out what that is and structuring your life around that. And people say, well, wait a minute now. Uh, But they confuse that with pleasure. I didn't ask what's most pleasurable and makes you have happiness and fun. I said, what do you spontaneously do that you love doing that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do that's of service to people that is meaningful to you? There's a difference. Because anybody can go out and eat chocolate all day long. That's not going to be healthy. Or eating sweets all day long or taking heroin. That's going to make you feel good temporarily, but you're going to have side effects. But doing something that's meaningful that makes a difference. If If you look at your life, your own life, look back at the most meaningful and fulfilling moments. You did something that made a difference in somebody's life, probably. I mean, you're right. doing a podcast. I'm sure I'll be willing to bet you've got a lot of thank yous coming in on that podcast. And some of them are tear jerkers. And they'll bring a tear to your eyes thinking, you know what? This is no matter what I've had a day, challenges or whatever. You just made my day because you listen to the podcast and what we said on there did this and. And they said, thank you for that. You changed your life. Those are what make people keep intrinsically doing things. They love, right. they love making a difference. I guess there's a category in daily life for a personal hobby that's really not serving anyone else, but it kind of serves to um, nourish your um you know, your commitment to the mission. So if you can get out and go for a hike for 30 minutes and then get back to your computer and plunge back into your inspired mission, I suppose there's an area there for what you might call balance or something that's not on the scoreboard. I weave them. I weave them together. I weave them together. So your work-life balance is a a tapestry rather than a nine to five. Yeah, I I don't like the, the, I I think that's, that can be misleading. I like to make me merge them together. I mean, I had a, a person that loves to travel, and I said, so uh, they were asking, how can I afford to go on traveling? And I said, why say that? That's a crazy question to ask. Why not? How, how do I make another couple million dollars to this year traveling? <laughs> I've traveled the world and get paid for it today. Mm. I just booked a thing today that $36,000 to travel to London from Turkey just to do a presentation and come back. So I just I I asked myself, how do I get handsomely and beautifully paid to do what I love? 
and don't stop till you find an answer. Then your vocation vacation is the same. And then if I love traveling and, and studying and exploring different cultures, how do I get paid to travel the world and explore cultures and get paid doing what I love? And I found out whatever I've asked that I want to do, I found a way of getting paid to do it. I could tell you a story that would knock your socks off about it, about a woman and a dog, if you'd like to hear it. Woman and a dog sounds good. I was teaching the Breakthrough Experience, my signature program that I've done 1,168 times. And there was a lovely lady sitting in the front row. And uh, I think she's about 29 or something at the time. And I asked her, I said, what is it you would absolutely love to do that you spontaneously do every day that you would absolutely love to do in life? And she goes, I love being with my dog and spending time with my dog. I said, fantastic. Write that down. The second question, how can you get handsomely and beautifully paid to spend time with your dog? And she looked at me and she goes, huh? How am I going to get paid to spend time with my dog? Ask the question. If you've never asked the question, you will mm-hmm. never get paid. Mm-hmm. How could you get handsomely and beautifully paid to spend time with your dog? And she goes, I don't know. I, I, I. Answer the question. Dig. Let's find an answer. How can you get handsomely and beautifully paid to spend time with your dog? She finally came up. My dog's really cute. He's a chihuahua. And maybe people will pay to take a picture because they always want to see him. Okay, great. And how else? And we started looking for different ways. Then I said, what are the highest priority actions you can do today that will move you in the direction of getting paid to spend time with your dog? Because you want to spend time with your dog. Why not get paid to do it? And she came up with some and we wrote them down. And I went, then what obstacles might you run into and how would you solve in advance on stopping you from doing that? And we found out what obstacles and we came up with some solutions. They weren't all of them, but some of them started us out. And there were seven questions I made her ask. And then she left the program contemplating that mm. on a Sunday night. Monday afternoon, she took her dog to walk in Central Park, New York. She lived in the Upper East Side and walked into the park near the zoo, 64th Street there. And walked in the park and started walking her dog. She walked down to the avenue where the philosophers walk, you know, the area where you go down where the, the boathouse is and the little fountain there if you've mm-hmm. been in the park. And somebody came up to her and said, may I take a picture of your dog, please? Now, that's happened many times. This is before iPhones. These are yellow cameras from the ph- pharmacy, you know, those days. And she said, yes, you may but that's $5. She never had the courage to ask that. Mm. She never thought about that. She figured, what have I got to lose? I'm not going to see this person ever again. They can always walk away. But she said, it'll be $5. And they said, it's worth it. They gave her five bucks. So she walked home with her dog and she said, you know what? You made your food today. You paid for your keep. Not bad. And when she did, because she took an action that was something that was meaningful to her, intuition and creative ideas start popping in so when she got home that night she went and sat on the floor in the closet right in front of the closet rummaged through a box and found a box that had a bunch of elastic material red elastic material she cut it out got the width of his legs and made a tube and sewed this little tube like a little vest and put a tube between his legs and 
she also got some black elastic things and attached it to a sunglasses to tighten the sunglasses on his head so it wouldn't fall off. Then she practiced walking him up on his hind legs oh. back and forth. So the following day, after that little training and some fun that night, she got creative. And she walked the same place. She got down to the where the fountain is. And she pranced in at the last minute. She got the sunglasses on. He already had the red vest on. If he's standing up with a red vest with sunglasses and he looks cool and he's walking on his legs, more people want to take a picture. She made $15. About seven people asked for the picture. Four turned her down, three paid. Mm -hmm. But she's now walking and she says, I made a profit on you today. You're not only paying for your thing, but I made a little profit on you. So she went back there again and she had some creative skills with sewing. So she decided the more creative the outfit that I make him wear, the higher the probability that people are going to want to take a picture, particularly if it's Thanksgiving, if I put turkey feathers on him, or if it's Christmas, I put a red outfit on with white trim. You know, depending on what the holiday is or what the day is or whatever, or who's famous in the news. I could dress him up like, you know, somebody is in the news, Donald Trump with red hair or something, a wig, you know, uh, something that's, that drags attention. So she started to create different outfits and she went in the park and that number went up to $125 a day. If you go online and you look up the word, the name Karen Beal, B-I-E-H-L, get your phone out. I know. Get your phone out. Uh-oh. She's the, uh, the the key performer of Central Park or something now. No, 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 no. Karen Beal, K-A-R-E-N-B-I-H-L. And just hit her name and then hit images. And you'll see her little dog with all her outfits. <laughs> okay, we'll put the link in the show notes, people. Oh, the tuxedo, the top hat. Wow, she's off and running. Beautiful dog. Okay, I definitely now, pay. Now, guess what? One day she was sitting there and a guy was there who was involved in marketing and direct marketing and said, is watching this whole thing going down and her cleaning up with the dog and thought, I could use that dog in a commercial. So the guy said, look, I'm involved in marketing. I think I might be able to use your dog for something. And she says, well, I'm his agent. She had a card by then with an agent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, fine, we'll chat. So he became the milk bone dog biscuit mascot and that put her into the millions oh mercy then she got two more deals then she got mamas and pop doggies and mamas tv shows three of them and then the, the dog became one of the most famous dogs in new york and the global awards in la he was going back and forth and he was he was became the one that him and gidget from taco bell they became the biggest dogs in new york and in about six, seven years ago, they finally retired him after 20-something years. Now, the dog didn't last that long. So she got another dog when that first dog died that looked identical, kept that thing going for three dogs. But she retired with $25 million net for herself. And they generated, to get that after taxes, nearly $100 million from the dog. So when somebody says to me, do I want to just have a vacation or a vocation? I say, it's up to you. You can have a hobby if you want. But if you really love doing it, why not figure out how to do it? I had a guy that said, I want to, I have a hobby and it's tennis. I said, have you ever thought about making millions doing tennis? He goes, I'm not a tennis pro, man. I said, 
I've got a way if you want to know. He says, okay. I said, do you love diamonds? He goes, yeah. If you buy diamonds when you're at the, the tennis uh, events, there's a lot of wealthy people going to tennis events and they love buying diamonds. I have a friend that does that, makes about a million dollars a year going to watch tennis and is selling a few diamonds here and there. Anyway, so they said, well, we're now traveling the world, watching tennis, playing, meeting tennis pros, taking pictures, and selling a few diamonds every here and there. So they figured out how to do it. I always ask, how do I do what I love and get paid for it? Mm. So if you're if you're uh, sitting on an idea that you think is preposterous, ridiculous, unrealistic, um, it doesn't compare to the dog in the in the tuxedo. May not be any more crazy. I, I could give you stories, so crazy stories that you would think no way that would work. Oh yeah, it did. Love it, man. Dr. John, it's such a pleasure. I'm uh, gonna gonna have more uh, insights to write down and and remember, and then uh, take action on and execute every day. Starting with uh, diving into this book, the Seven Secret Treasures. I encourage you, reader. I insist that you grab this now. How could we not? Thanks for a great uh, great presentation, and um, we'll uh, look forward to more fun stuff coming from you. Maybe so. The, so the breakthrough experience is a is a seminar that you still give live over a thousand times all over the world? I've done it 1,160 times. I got another one this weekend and I do them all over the world. I've, um, yeah, I love it. Uh, it's, so we can it's find my way, that. It's my way of helping people do something extraordinary with their life. That's bottom line. I love bottom that. line. And we can find all that information on your website? Yeah, I think go on website, drdmartin.com. Dr. Um, the book is available now. You can go get the book on there. Or, or just go to Amazon. But the website has that as a free value determination process for people that want to go and know what their values are. It's mm. complimentary and private. And, uh, but they can just check out, go to the media and check out and learn as much as they want. Or they can just just go to the website, just see where it takes you. Let your heart be your guide. And, or go uh, to Amazon, get that book. The Amazon employees will be happy to put it in a box and ship it to your house because they're, they're treated better now and everybody's in equilibrium. Yeah, well, there's the uh, Amazon is pretty an amazing company. I mean, you no matter about it. That's that guy was a visionary. So Jeff Jeffs was done a great job at building something that shows what's possible. And the great work that you're doing is the same. So thank you so much, Dr. John D. Martini, the one and only. Thanks for listening, everybody. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. 
Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code Brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free eBooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows. That would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.